Sure. I'll talk it out. Yeah. Let's just have a conversation. Track three. <clears throat> Better not be fucking Dave Matthews band. Okay. Those of you who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which it seems like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus. You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. Per the state versus Neville Reed. My colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated whenever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves notified. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Describe the ruckus, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? On the Mail Time Radio Podcast, episode 182. Wow, all the way up chaos. to 182 already. This has like been crazy. We've, I mean, let's just be honest. Uh, 182 technically means 182 weeks. We try to do this once a week. Um, and the nice part about this is not only do we want to talk to you and hear from you, but we also want to play music for you. But it's kind of become one of our favorite things to do. We uh, we always make kind of like a, I don't want to say a big deal about it, but it's it's our time together, chilling out, you know, 
earlier today we went and played racquetball too so we we have we make like a full day of it and you know we're gonna I don't, I've never talked about this but I love going to thrift stores and I collect vintage Pyrex vintage Fire King and vintage Tupperware but DJ Anubis sometimes likes to tag along because if you go to these thrift stores, a lot of people donate DVDs because nobody wants to keep physical media around anymore. So you find a lot of DVDs and CDs. And the last time that I took DJ Anubis to a thrift store with me, I think all the DVDs were what, two or three dollars? And he was like, oh, I can't believe they have this. It's only two dollars. So tomorrow we're going to go have a little thrifting adventure and hopefully we'll find some fun new movies for our retro DVD vault. Um, you might have vinyl and. Oh, other yeah, they, things, they will so. have vinyl and they'll definitely have CDs. Um, what's really, I, I don't know, ironic or whatever, but our. Our retro DVD vault is actually a vault. It's a, it's not a vault like a um, like a bank vault, but it's a piece of furniture that we have, and it has double doors and opens, and you, you know you can put it holds like a certain amount. And we're kind of like busting at the seams now. I'm, I, we almost have to upgrade to like the next size because, I mean, it was a nice little piece of furniture. We've been really happy with it, and I. What did we do before for our DVD storage? Did we have... Just have, like, a bookshelf? It was just, like, one book... Okay. Random. Thing. Because this this piece of furniture, it kind of looks like a little tiny closet, and then you open it up with double doors, and it's just DVDs everywhere. But I'm excited. I'm excited about this week's show, because I got to pick the Retro DVD Movie Vault, and I did it kind of on a whim, because we were just watching something else and I'm like alright we're gonna watch this too and do a little compare and contrast but we also have some really another really cool movie to review um, Dawn Breaks Behind the Eyes I so you are more into these type of movies than I am I am but uh as I've had time to process it, I actually went kind of looking for reviews mm -hmm. that weren't as glowing, and and I agree with some of the issues that it has, and I'll get into that a little bit we'll when we talk about. But uh, it, there there are some cool things about it, but uh, we'll definitely get into some of the problems with it as well. And then there's just a YouTuber named uh, he goes by the name Night Talk, and. Uh, big black dude conservative guy and he talks about random stuff uh some stuff i agree with him on some other stuff maybe not so much but uh this one i'm kind of like i see both sides of it but uh it's an interesting topic that i think that could be problematic uh if it's taken too far so we'll, i'm gonna play like it's about like eight minutes that he does a little piece there on that and he has some footage of uh a local law enforcement person that's talking about how she's going to use this as a way to get criminals and whatnot. So we're going to let you all kind of debate it because... And I'm coming in fresh, too. He, uh, yeah. DJ Anubis has listened to this already and kind of given me a baby synopsis of it, but I haven't heard it at all. And I think it's, it's really good uh, for me and for you all, since you're going to be hearing it fresh as well, to kind of, like, understand where, like, this is 
the possibilities where this could take right. us. I mean, I mean, we, I, I do see both sides of it. Like, there are some things that I thought when I was listening to it was like, well, yeah, I can kind of see if, you know, I don't want to get into it now, but when we get there, I'll explain. Uh, as usual, a lot of new music coming your way. Some classic materials, well, it's a great rock block with Neko's Pick of the Week. Uh, let's get into our first block of music. Brand new stuff from Possessor, Assassinator. Ooh. And here's brand new Nun Slaughter with Into the Ooh, Chasm. Nun Slaughter, I like them. On my ship of bones, I enter the cave of mysterious wonder. I'll make it my slave, covered in floods. Let's run this time 
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. Dive into our first topic of the evening. So, give it to me. So, I saw a trailer for a movie uh, mm-hmm. that I thought would be pretty cool. Um, as Neko pointed out at the beginning of the show, I, I tend to like sh- mo- movies that are a little bit of kind of a mind fuck, but at the same time, they have some sort of like visual aspect to them so when i think of like uh the strange color of your body's tears or uh beyond a black rainbow yeah um our friend jason asked us he's like is it like beyond the black rainbow i'm like yeah kind of um well it tries to be Um, see for me i i thought that i so i don't even know how to put this I didn't like Beyond the Black Rainbow. I didn't like The Strange Color of Your Body's Tears. And I... And you don't like Mandy. I don't like Mandy either. So, so pretty this, much everything that's, that I kind of like in terms of like aesthetics and looks, uh, you don't really care for. Yeah, but I, also, I love Clockwork Orange. True. And I think, though, Clockwork Orange has a very... Um, com- and you like Vanilla Sky, too. And I like Vanilla Sky, but they both have very complex stories. And um, that's they, probably because they have bigger budgets. I mean, that's why they didn't come. No, but the stories themselves are a little bit more complex, and they also um, they get you kind of wrapped into the main character's life. So even if that person in Vanilla Sky or in um, Clockwork Orange, you're not really either if you're feeling sympathetic or empathetic or you dislike the person, you're still very wrapped up into what's going to happen to this person because um, you're just, it's just so interesting. My problem with these movies is they take a very simplistic story and the story just isn't with these visuals. I know a lot of these visuals are good enough for people and these super simplistic stories with these crazy visuals sometimes just turn me off. Um, we were even talking about this last week when we were talking about the Road Warrior. I could, it was a little too boring for me. And you're like so into like, oh, look, it's, um, you know, apocalyptic and it's um, noir and this and that. That's kind of how I felt about Dawn Breaks Behind the Eyes. Like, I watched it. And they tried to make it very artsy, which is fine. And I know that really appeals to some people, but like, this is basically Groundhog Day in a castle. If you've seen the movie with Bill Murray, Groundhog Day, it's it's not a comedy, but the couple just keeps reliving the same thing over and over. At least that's what it's alluding to throughout the movie, because you have like the not the Mm, I didn't quite get that. I did because. At the end, after everything that had happened, they ended up where they were in the bedroom, right? Doing the same thing. But then she decided to make a change. And because she made the change and she convinced her boyfriend to make the change, 
Well, before we get so we, we get into yeah, sorry, we gotta get the plot. Get, okay, What's so going on? Because no one has no clue. I know. What's I'm going. getting a little too ahead of myself. I'm so sorry. I, I was only gonna point out that this article I'm reading basically kind of states what you were saying. The problem with Don breaks beyond the eyes is that it puts style over substance, and I think that's what you were getting at. Uh, but the film itself is, is a German film. Uh, it is in English subtitles. And basically, it's about a couple. Um, um, a woman named Margot, played by Lisa Taraz, and uh, Dieter, played by Frederick von Luchenchow. Uh, a married couple who buy a, uh, inherit a castle in which they basically almost, they're like flippers. Even though the wife comes from a rich, wealthy family, uh, they go around, they buy up, properties and then fix them up and then sell them and that's kind of the, the plan for Dieter the husband to do but they he wanted to come check out the castle late at night before they went back to their hotel well I forget what happens uh they get stuck there for some reason oh he loses his keys because mm -hmm. he gets scared uh, that was before they even like started like remodeling the castle. Right, right. Everything. They were just kind of scoping everything out. He came down in the basement and something like it, it almost came across as early on as a, a ghost story in the house on the castle. But uh, he loses his keys on the floor and he doesn't want to go back down to the basement to look for him right away. But on the other side is Margot. Uh, she's getting this feeling from the castle that you know it's almost like she has some presence of. Uh, ghosts around her or whatever and so like she's looking in the mirror and she's like kind of seeing something else and she kind of gets kinda like in a trance or seductive, something seductive yeah and at so, first like I'm like this is about vampires because that's what it felt right. like right and so she uh she wants to fix up the place and stay so she clearly has like a, a marriage issue in terms of just happiness between the both of them like you know they, they it's kind of weird because it's like a love-hate relationship like they have sex and they're intimate but uh at the same time mm -hmm. they can't really agree on things and she's sort of becoming more of her independent self whereas Dieter is almost a cuck in some ways like he's very he struggles with his emotions as masculinity uh so you love you love my word don't you? yeah so but if we see early on in the film, he starts to get to like this dark side of himself where he start like he finds this whip in this box, and all of a sudden we're seeing him get kind of like start hitting Margo with it, and he gets really crazy. Then there's a moment. Yeah, and you know, honestly, when I was watching that, I didn't think that was really happening because that kind of happened right after she was having her little fantasy thing. Right. So I was kind of confused. I didn't realize that was real time. I thought that was kind of like flashback time. Well, then there's, going back to what you said about vampires, we get to a scene where she's in a white gown, and he walks in, he's like, because he gets knocked out after attacking her from somebody, which is another funny thing that I'll get to in a minute. But, uh, so he goes upstairs because she's calling to him and then he comes to her and they're looking at each other and you know uh he's like you know you want to have sex one more last time before whatever and she's like sure and then <laughs> that's when she bares her teeth and like basically you know, she's giving him a hand job rips off his dick which they show uh 
And then all of a sudden, we just hear cut. <laughs> and uh, it turns out this is actually being uh, a movie they're filming. So we have this whole other group of people on the side uh, filming this. Uh, and I forget who the lead director is because he plays a big part in this um, as well. Uh, what do you mean? The guy that's filming the movie. I can't think of it. I know, okay, I know what you're, because he was, at the end, he was the one, okay. Right, I probably need to pull up their cast. I don't have it on me at the moment. But So basically, uh, you know, he yells cut, and then, then we find out that this everything we saw for like the first half hour or so is just part of a movie they're filming inside this castle. So, and the whipping was part of the cast, the movie too. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fine. Yeah. So everything that we and the and the and the vampire was part of the movie too. Okay. Yeah. So this is why. Uh, this is why I was probably fucking like. I brought up the whole thing about uh, one cut of the dead, where you know that movie was like two movies in one, and that's sort of what this is sort of going after in some ways, which is weird, but. Uh, so anyway, we we get introduced to the director and a few of the. Uh, other cast as well as um you know the people that hold the lights the, the stage hands and whatnot mm -hmm. everyone's in there the grip right producers uh now one of the main writers of the show is the director's girlfriend and she plays a big part in this and again that's who i'm talking about her yeah um i gotta i gotta pull up their fucking has because I, I don't remember their, their names as far as characters and that's shame on me uh okay so yeah uh eva zanagel is played by anna Platon and she's the girlfriend of the director um jeff wilbush who plays gregor grouse and he's he's the director so we have other characters as i, I mentioned with Margot, who's being portrayed by uh, Louisa Taraz and Frederick von Luchendal who plays Dieter. Uh, so those are all like, you know, actors and whatnot. We have, like I said, we have some other people involved here to which um, all of a sudden they're eating dinner and, you know, having a good time and all of a sudden it turns into another like, uh oh, someone's at the door. So then in walks, like, what looks like some sort of cult of people, like mm -hmm. another group of people, and they pretend to stab one of the people who goes to answer the door, and uh, then we find out that's fake, like, they're just playing jokes. And now we've, we've realized that what we've got going on is there's a lot of mis misdirection going on with the film. And, but we still feel the tension from the director and his girlfriend because uh, now we don't even care about the, the first couple from the film because it's all fake. Like, and I actually thought because she was a blonde too, I thought it was the same person. That's right. my problem. Like it was not Cohesive. distinctive enough. You know, each person in this movie did, did not have their own personality to a point where I was like, okay, this person is... is the asshole and this person is the whore well we know who the whore is but you but you understand what i mean like i didn't there wasn't enough character development because it was what an hour hour and a half it was only like an hour and 15 minutes yeah, yeah. it was a very short movie the characters were not developed to a point where i felt like i 
understood them enough. Yeah, and the thing is, it starts going into weird territory because the focus becomes on the director and his girlfriend, and the girlfriend had problems with how the ending of the movie was written. She had tried to advise her her director boyfriend, like, it wasn't going to work or it didn't really make sense, but he's so revered among the group. Like, they all think he's, like, this genius, and, you know, he stands for independence with... Uh, movie making and just being free mm-hmm. and so she kind of gets even when they go like when they celebrate at, at night like they're taking drugs or something LSD or something that's what it looks like because it looks like sugar cubes almost yeah and so everyone's doing it except her she kind of steps aside just to let them do their thing and kind of goes to bed right and so but then, also, again, what happens within the group, the woman that plays Margot, the actress, uh, she's probably the most mature of the bunch. So she, this is, like, new territory for her. So she was excited to play the role and w- willing to work with Grouse. And so, basically, she's checking, you know, they're sitting on the couch while they're tripping their asses off, and she's, like, kind of hitting on them. And, you know, Grouse, who's supposedly supposed to be monogamous with his girlfriend... Uh, starts questioning whether or not he should be like you know it's kind of like you know maybe I should kind of like play the field and be more free with sexuality and stuff so anyway he was trying to be that like artistic type because he's high hipster very hipster yes he's but this is back in the 70s right so he's high and he's like trying to make excuses almost like it's I'm like, the artist, I'm the writer, I'm the director, right. I'm doing all of this, so I should be experimenting. Like, he felt entitled. Exactly, because, like, the the actress who played Margot, she's kind of challenging him. Like, you know, you should be more, you know, be able to do more things. You shouldn't be locked down. And, so, and that's basically what she's pushing out with him. So anyway, long story short, uh, he goes back to bed with his his lady, and you know they're kind of cuddling or whatever. But then later in the evening, she wakes up and he's not there. And so she goes searching out for him and comes across a room uh, that was, you know, locked. You know, doors closed, and she opens it and he's there being fucked by the actress, the other, you know, the older actress. And so now she's pissed. But this is where the movie kind of just loses focus because then things we don't even know because we already don't know what's we were we were told or shown something at the beginning that wasn't real. Then we were shown something else real quick that wasn't real. Now we've got things going where you know the house is on fire. Uh, there's some very there, there. I should say there's a really cool scene in here with the music of the soundtrack for when they're all tripping out and they're kind of dancing around. I really like that scene, the way it's shot. Uh, there's also a scene where it's almost like... I never got around to seeing the movie Society, but it reminded me of the cover of that, uh, where the bodies are all intertwined in an orgy and it's kind of, like, monstrous. Uh, so that was kind of cool. But we're kind of led to believe that a fire happened and nobody got out like Neko and I thought initially they were like ghosts like we thought the director and his girlfriend were actually ghosts mm-hmm. just reliving that nightmare of what happened and by the time we get to the end of it I don't want to give it away because no one's seen it yet and it's pretty new uh, by the time we get to the end of it 
it tells us a whole different story and now I'm just confused like what the point of the movie was supposed to be like I know well I think I, I get where you're confused because again it's a lot of misdirection right mm -hmm. so I, I did not get the beginning as part of a movie right but for me maybe I'm interpreting the part at the end differently so we see the end at while they're tripping and um, she goes and, and she looks for Gregor and finds him having an affair and at the end of that the fire starts but it looks like he's okay and she's okay and she kind of accepts him back into the fold but then kind of the epilogue you know how they had like the little things but the epilogue part goes to kind of a rewind before the party and, and before everything it's like before everybody gets there and she's telling him that she doesn't think the story has the right ending yeah and that's she... and and that's where i kind of like you're you're saying that it wasn't like a repeat i felt felt like they were stuck in a repeat until she had the um courage to step away and rewrite it and but she got him to listen to him and to listen to her excuse me i thought the epilogue was her escaping and everybody else dying that is what it okay. is okay um but I thought that was after they repeated it over and over again because they flashed to that point, and I know. Well, there's that there's that scene prior where, and that, and that's where I'm at. I guess I, I again, that's the problem. The movie is only an hour and fifteen minutes. They do not go into any kind of explanation of anything. They do not get into any kind of character depth, and it's maybe that's why people like it so much because it was very highly rated, but. Well, and my my thing about the the you know Rotten Tomatoes really liking it and everything is that I think people at times mm -hmm. don't know about some of these other movies that I've seen because mm -hmm. I would say they're way like Beyond the Black Rainbow and Strange Color Your Body's Tears are far superior to this film, uh, and they have some kind of same aesthetics and stuff like that going mm -hmm. on, uh, but uh, since this might be something people know more about than the other ones, that might be a reason why, mm. but. I just, I, you know, it was one of these things that I, I again, it, it, I suppose this is like the feminist push on it, I guess, if there is one. Uh, you know, we saw towards the end of the, the film that Grouse was trying to get forgiveness. He kept trying to chase her down and, and say sorry and yada, yada, yada. And then, like you said, at one point, it seems like they, she was going to do that. And then the next moment... Uh, she decides, no, I'm just going to let you burn like a, a motherfucker, you know. I, but you do see the part, though, where... It's almost she, like that midsummer movement. But you see the part where she doesn't let him burn. And then... Yeah, but I think... It flashes back, or maybe it's a repeat. I don't know, because who the fuck knows. And she gives her, her reasoning by changing the end of the story. And then we see the flames again, but we see her emerge. So that's why I'm saying it felt like almost a Groundhog Day type of thing where she was reliving it until it was right for her. 
And that's that's what I meant. No, and I that's what I was getting at. Okay, okay, sorry. I'm just saying that, you know, she didn't like the way that it was initially ended. So the the whole writing the ending of the script was I don't know what you would call it. It's, it's sort of the whole point of her story. It's like, it, she what as you said, she didn't have the ending she wanted till the very end. That was the ending she wanted. Uh, but she had to relive it to make it happen. She mm-hmm. had to live through the ending she didn't want to make the ending she wanted to happen. Am I saying that right? She had to live through the ending that he or Gregor it's probably the way he yeah that's was his idea right. she had to live through that and accept it and then when it looks like everybody's dying and she wakes up and it's before all that happens she actually opens her mouth and says it should be changed yeah and but again now here's my issues with some of those too is yeah she's very angry with him about sleeping around but then I'm still confused why everyone else had to die for that <laughs> you know it's just one of those things like and it, it's just because the movie just didn't dive into any of the characters anymore like I know she wasn't part of that scene but like the rest of the people weren't at fault for what you did like I don't really get the issue that she had with them and why it was okay. revenge anger they got him to do the drugs you know like a lot of times people can be super irrational when they're hurting and that could really be what it was is she she's just being super irrational yeah maybe uh so what would you give it for a score i think maybe a six a five out of ten not it's not great and i had a hard time even connecting with it at all like it was hard for me to even focus on it because... It yeah, I think, you know, the funny thing is, like, I really wanted to like it more than I did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I initially I think I was going to give it, like, an 8, but I think I'm more probably around a 7 for it, you know, because I do like some of the, the visual effects. Like, I do like some of the things that the director mm-hmm. was doing. Uh, but it, all in all, it just it it's, it wasn't executed as good as it could have been. And some people who have argued in their reviews have said, I think that's they should have just is. stuck with the ghost story. That would have been better. That's I, I think so too. And that's the funny thing is because I'm like, oh, this is a vampire story, and then I'm being like misled because it's so hard to even engage in the movie because it's not that good. Right. That's why the movie itself you picked up more than I did I did not realize a lot of the stuff that we were seeing at the beginning was part of shooting the movie was part of a farce I thought it was they were going back in time and coming (laughs) forward in time and no but I didn't really get a good grip because the movie was kind of boring and bad. So it's it's really a mediocre movie. It's like a C minus if you That's you know. about where I'm a C. You know, it's it's you know, I if I could redo it I would, but I mean, I you and I talk about this all the time. Um and we'll get into this later with my retro D V D pick of the week because when you there are some movies that 
are amazing and you're like if it just had a bigger budget or a better director or xyz you could you could feel that movie like triumphing this movie focused way too much on the visuals the music and the drug use right like that was what sold this movie and i think they were also trying to be too intelligent so it was kind of like the the old story the emperor's new clothes and it's like the emperor had the invisible fancy clothes and if you weren't intelligent you couldn't see the clothes well the emperor's fucking naked that's what i felt like this movie was they were trying to come out and say look if you don't get this movie then you're just not artistic and you're not smart enough to oh, get so this you think, movie you think it's a little bit pretentious yes and you know I am about people who are pretentious and, and movies that are pretentious. And a lot of these, these like, artsy movies are very pretentious. Listen, I, I love stupid movies. I like fart jokes. I like it when Ace Ventura talks with his ass. It's okay. Like, a movie is meant to be entertaining, and it's also meant to be thought-provoking. But if you try to be so thought-provoking that you are coming above your audience and basically insulting them saying you are not intelligent enough to understand how well i don't well i guess i don't know see i don't know if it's they're not no see the director's not saying that he never said that but you just think the scores yeah i i feel like these types of movies kind of put themselves out that way like Beyond the Black Rainbow, Mandy, all of them. Ah, you're not throwing them in that group. But, no, you're not. But <laughs> that's what they do. They, I, I don't care for them myself, but I feel like when they, when the, they put their story out, and if someone would say I don't like it, but see, see stuff like you have to go back and watch this shit sometimes because. Beyond the Black Rainbow actually has depth to the story. I've watched it. I didn't like it. I, I'm I, I not saying even follow that. It. I'm just like, saying it has depth to the story. This one did not. So there is a vast difference in that. I, but you're you're missing what I'm saying. These stylistic movies, a lot of times, if um, if someone would say, "I just don't care for it. It's not my type of movie." The pretentious fans will say it's because you don't understand. Uh, it. I get that. That's that's what I. That's kind of like what turns me off sometimes too. Well, um, I don't pay attention to that. I but, just. I mean, that's the whole Radiohead argument too. It's these pretentious people, and they're like, it's made so that you don't understand it, and if you don't understand it, you're not intelligent enough to. I just, appreciate yeah. Well, it. I've heard that. I've heard people say about Shawshank. I do. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but but I think we'll, this we'll guy, talk about that later. I was going to say, but you followed Shawshank. Yeah. So there. Is, but it doesn't mean there aren't pretentious people about oh, it. Oh, there are. Uh, anyway, but me. this director, I think, decided it had all the substance of ideas that he wanted to do, but he didn't have a good story to go with it. That was the problem. I think you're right. I think he was like, I got a great idea. Yeah, he says, I want to do this visually, and I want to do this soundtrack, and I want to do this. We're just going to have to build around it. Like, rather than have the story first, uh, he just had every all these other ideas, and he threw them in there, and then, like... Like, like Spookies. Yeah. But Spookies was campy. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah, you can get away with Spookies a little bit, because it's even a worse budget than this one. It's a worse budget, 
It's a worse story. It's no cohesive story. And but it knows it's bad. This one, this one acts like it's very good. Exactly. All right, let's get back right, to some well, music. This was a good talk. Yep. Thanks. I'm glad we had we battled it out. Got some classic music from Cyanide, Head Rotten here. Brand new stuff from Severed Head Shop and Cathartic, but here's brand new stuff from Fluids, Infantile, Mysticism.
has begun. Oh,
Hey there, this is Hugo Flores from Factory of Dreams and you're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Enjoy the music. Alright. Getting ready to jump to the rock block for today. Got some stay for tomorrow from Reaction and Management. Got some classic material from Griffin. Material from Angels PR, Project Renegade, Black Roos from Metal Devastation Promotions, and uh, of course, Neko's Pick of the Week. <laughs> Kicking it off, though, is a band called Spectrum, provided by Grand Sounds Promotion. This is called Leviathan. <laughs>
everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio.
Griffin doing heavy metal attack. Good classic heavy metal rock there. Heavy metal rock? Yeah. So basically they were old school heavy metal, but if you were thinking about it now, it's more in the hard rock vein. Kind of like ACDC. A lot of people. Or classic priest. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. So. Mm. Sorry, I have a tickle in my throat, so I'm taking a quick drink. And then we're going to talk about my pick of the week so pardon me while I take a drink and maybe cough <laughs> DJ Anubis was uh, kind of uh, demonstrating the prostate exam yeah <laughs> <coughs> so I sometimes the fun part about my rock pick of the week is I just start having a song vomit coming out of my head and I just will write a message to DJ Anubis like I love this song this song this song this song this song and some stuff he absolutely just vetoes and some stuff he will veto with like exceptions and then I have to like kind of fight my cause and then other stuff he just says yes so this week, I picked absolutely one of my favorite songs ever. And um, a lot of people don't realize this about me, but I'm a big fan of the yacht rock genre. And this kind of slides right into that yacht rock, you know, soft 80s, 70s, thinking like uh, Hall & Oates thinking Michael McDonald, Doobie Brothers of the 70s, 80s uh, type stuff. And I seriously, like, you know it's popular if Sirius has a Yacht Rock station. But... You know it's you serious. You know it's serious. So, <laughs> I'm sure on my, my last, like, two-page message to DJ Anubis... I popped this in this particular song in there because I was it probably came up on the radio and I was listening and it's a favorite karaoke song of mine too <laughs> but what I found interesting was because this is what did you describe it as just kind of like light rock or yeah, 80s yeah. light rock I or mean something? like I said whenever I do the hard and rock play stuff you know there's this there's bands that might be modern or bands that might be... For instance, a great example is Helix. In the 80s, they were kind of known as just a hard hair rock band. Mm -hmm. But they have shit going back into the late 70s that has more like a classic rock vibe. Same with Whitesnake. Like, and Judas Priest. Yep, Scorpions, all the same thing. So, with Aria, like, they kind of remind me of one of those bands that teeters on pop rock and classic rock, depending on what song it is. And uh, they just always remind us, so, like, they're, like, remind me of Foreigner from the mm -hmm. late 70s, so. And I, I kind of like, when we were talking about other, you know, kind of borderline bands, the one that we really had the discussion about was um, Alan Parsons' project. And, crap, what was the one um, that I did was, like, a synthwave song? Um, Is that the one I was making fun of? No, you like the song, but you were like, I think it's a little too poppy. But then when I was um, listening to 
the local radio station and I told you that they actually had a weekly, you know, synth wave. Oh, uh, Human League? Yes. Okay. So when we started talking about like the importance, it may not be like as heavy as we want it to be, but you know, we see the importance of Alan Parsons. We see the importance of Aria. We see the importance of Barner, how it has shaped more modern rock and, you know, become classics in themselves. This particular song, I think everybody, including their mom and their grandma, know this song. It's played on the radio nonstop. It was, you know, when I was roller skating, it was a song that you held hands and did couple skate to, mm-hmm. even though it's about cheating, but... <laughs> <laughs> I can't fight this thing. No, that's the other one. Right. <laughs> but I um I really dig Ario Speedwagon and I did a little uh you know research. Yeah, quick mini dive into Ario Speedwagon is is named after the precursor to a pickup truck which is the Ario Speedwagon. But I didn't realize this that it was named after R.E. Olds, who is also of Oldsmobile. And then General Motors bought our, all of R.E. Olds' Oldsmobile productions hmm. and put that under their umbrella. And he kind of saved all of his better work for the R.E.O. line. And apparently people thought that this... REO, I don't want to call it a pickup truck, but it is kind of like the pickup truck's dad. Right. And it was um, sold off a few times, the REO brand, in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. And then in 1974, it was sold or bought out again. And that is eventually when the REO name was completely gone. But, like REO Speedwagon, the band, the REO Speedwagon vehicle was kind of like a nice base before other stuff that came out. Because you can kind of say, like, REO Speedwagon has its rock elements, and you can also say it has its pop elements that kind of go into more of the ballad stuff that happened in the 90s. Almost another great thing about REO Speedwagon, the band, is... It's a lot of things I say about 70s and 80s bands, too. Um, They really focused on the singing and the harmonizing and the orchestration and the instruments. And I find when you have that, it it makes such a big difference. And it's why I kind of like just hold on to these these bands for so long even I wasn't even born in the 70s but I think you kind of feel the same way too because you see these bands that really wanted to put something together as a whole where a lot of things now um that we're seeing that are really popular aren't even written by the artist or created by the artist. It's sort of like a plug-and-play thing where you have somebody who writes it and then somebody who produces it and then you give it to an artist to perform. Right. Because you're trying to make money Mm -hmm. off of it. Whereas before, it was all, you know, you create an album, you have a sound, you have a theme, you want it to 
be like that. So this this is another example of you know times gone by where you have a band that really holds on to their sound and stays true to themselves. So today's song is by one of my favorite bands. It's one of my favorite songs and I'm going to scream it at the top of my lungs while it is playing. It is Take It on the Run by Ario Speedwagon. I was going to say, it reminds me a little bit of uh, two bands like Chicago and Cheap Trick, you know, them outlines. So, we're going to, you know what, we'll do a Chicago song next week, and I'll give you a full lowdown of Chicago, because Chicago started very differently, very jazzy, very almost like a, a CCR at times. Mm -hmm. So, but Chicago has got the longevity and has done what they had to do to stay relevant. So anyway, we're talking about REO right now, one of my favorite bands, one of my favorite songs, and I hope you enjoyed the little history lesson on the automobiles. Audio jump. Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. We will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow, and we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven. DJ Neko's pick of the week. Heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from another you've been messing around. They say you got a boyfriend. You're out late every weekend. They're talking about you and it's bringing me down. But I know
Introducing the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast, available today on your favorite podcast platform. Metal Tavern is a heavy metal, rock music, and movie podcast where they discuss movies, music, current events, and feature live interviews with bands, artists, and YouTube personalities. They spotlight independent labels and feature the underground bands the label represents. Again, that's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Stream it today on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, YouTube, and at the website MetalTavernRadio.com. Many episodes up for you to listen to already, and make sure you subscribe to be notified of future releases. That's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Go listen, download, and subscribe today. You can also connect on Facebook, search Metal Tavern Radio, and follow the guys on Twitter at DJ Anubis88 and DJ underscore Nico Catfreak. All right, all right. Oh, fuck. I love that movie. <laughs> Party Under the Moon. What is it? The Moon Lamps? The Moonbeams? Uh, oh, moonlights? What is it? Days to Confuse? Days to Confuse. It, it, it takes place in Austin, and apparently... Oh, Party Under the fucking Moon, whatever. Austin Moon Beams? Uh, days to Confuse. Fucking Google. Um, so apparently these, these things... Towers fuck how could i not know the word towers so like when they were like party the, under the moon tower these these towers for the longest time um they look like fucking water towers but they're like big lamps and they put them out in austin before austin got to be like this gigantic city that it is now but it always was kind of like this cool city but it's still in texas so guns you know like and cowboys and all but the moon towers are now the ones that remain historically preserved because they've been around for so long so there's other ones that have been torn down so the whole like reference to the moon towers was kind of like a big deal and it kind of like sparked like upkeeping them through the 90s and early 2000s to to preserve the remaining ones which i find like kind of you know how i am i i like when you can take something from history but still make it useful for today it's just like when we go to Outback Steakhouse it's inside of the old canning company in Baltimore that you know before the it stayed abandoned but then they repurposed it into like a really cool building but it still has the facade and it still has like the um the big chimney and it says the American Canning Company and you know again just a little nostalgia for me anyway let's talk about what baby so uh I came across you know because this is what i do in my downtime is peruse youtube that's what he does to find out what i want to focus on next in terms of topics that's how i get wrapped up in the amber heard shit mm -hmm. but i came across a guy named stevie knight uh totally built black big, dude big dude smart like though but you know uh he's also clearly conservative so with some of the stuff that he talks about, I don't always agree with. Um, but anyway, uh, he, you know, he puts up his content, and he, usually most of it's like eight to sixteen minutes long. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had posted something that I watched the other day, where uh, it was like uh, I'm assuming she's like the lead captain of the force somewhere. I forget what what 
uh, stage she's in. What's his name again? I, I want to pull Stevie him up. Stevie Knight. I, there wasn't much I can find on him, really. Uh, he does have, like, Instagram and stuff like that. But his show is called Night Talk. So it's K-N-I-G-H-T mm -hmm. Talk. And the woman was saying, well, the clip that he showed, which you'll hear in a minute, uh, she's saying that she's not going to hold back from charging people, mainly in this case rap artists, who are singing about murdering somebody or do, committing crimes. Mm -hmm. So basically her thought process is if you're saying you've committed a crime, we're coming after you, we're going to use that against you. But I'm going to get into some of the things that could be problematic about that as well as why I think it could be a good idea as well. So for about the next eight minutes, you're going to hear the discussion not only with uh, the clip, but Stevie's going to talk throughout and give his own opinions on it. So. I think that uh, I would welcome an opportunity to sit down with Hank Aaron uh, and discuss uh, that proposed legislation. Um, I, I don't think that it will be successful. I think if you decide to admit your crimes over a beat, I'm going to use it. And you've used that before uh, with your previous uh, gang member arrests. Um, what are your, um, your specific responses to the criticism? that uh, you're specifically targeting Atlanta's hip-hop community through these lyrics? I'm not targeting anyone, but however, you do not get to uh, commit crimes in my county and then decide to brag on it, which you do that for a form of intimidation and to further the gang and not be held responsible. One of the lyrics in, used in this indictment, just one of the lyrics is, me and my crew striking out, striking in all black, send me the drop, we'll kick in the house, if we steal a car, we're going to take off the tag. Well, they're kicking indoors, committing home invasions, uh, and now I'm using those lyrics that they're admitting to doing that. I'm going to continue to do that. People can continue to be angry about it. Um, I have some legal advice. Don't confess to crimes on rap lyrics if you do not want them used, or at least get out of my count. <laughs> Hey, hey, call me old, call me whack, call me a cornball, call me a simp, call me every goddamn name in the book, man. I fucks with it. I fucks with it, bruh. I mean, only fucking dumbasses are out here criticizing her for doing her goddamn job, man. Fuck you, thank you. What the fuck you think this is when you come out here boasting what the fuck you doing on fucking songs and expect motherfuckers not to act on it? You got the balls to fucking put what the fuck you doing on 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 a track for the world to hear, and you expect motherfucking police with as much technology and awareness they got going on with the community, and you expect them just to fucking sit back and not act on it? You got this fire ass, aggressive ass DA who don't give a fuck who the fuck you is, dog. She said you want to fucking do that shit. You want to rap about the crimes you committed? Go ahead, but don't do that shit in my fucking county, dog. But that's one thing, bro. Like, kudos to her, bro. She, she a real one for that, man. But, like, I've been said this shit from fucking jump. 28 motherfuckers that they got indicted on Rico from, from rap lyrics. Y'all motherfuckers are idiots, man. Y'all motherfuckers are idiots, dog. Like, when I saw when I, when I saw Gunna and Young Thug get 
tied up to all this shit, bro. And they, they definitely are tied with it. They definitely got links to it. You know what I'm saying? Thug connection go way back deep in this fucking Rico case where he got his name connected to fucking murders and stealing and drugs and all types of shit. Gunner too. I'm like, man, first thing I'm thinking, dog, is why? Why? I don't feel bad for none of these motherfuckers. I don't feel bad for none of these motherfuckers. First of all, your dumb ass gonna rap about this shit in the, in the fucking lyrics. You're a fucking idiot and you deserve what you got coming to you, bro. But like, dog, you been out here eating on this hip-hop shit for so fucking long. Why couldn't you just distance yourself from that and just let them do what they fucking do and totally disconnect yourself from that shit? What you got? What? What? What for? Why? It makes no fucking sense. It makes no fucking sense. And all you're doing is bringing more glorification to the shit that's bringing the black community down, dog. you just perpetuating the same cycle we've been dealing with for decades. For decades. But y'all motherfuckers took it a step further and tried to rap about what the fuck y'all been doing on wax and expect the police not to fucking do anything. Not, not to move on it or whatever, man. But, like, you just, you perpetuating this dumb shit, bro. And you're responsible for putting more motherfuckers in jail, distracting motherfuckers to doing the shit that they shouldn't be fucking doing. You know what I'm saying? They focused on this shit that you out here promoting and glorifying. Street culture, gang culture, you know what I mean? Drugs, money, all this dumb shit. Like the same fucking story, different day. The same fucking story, different day. The shit gets old. They've been, they've been doing this shit forever. Forever. But our dumb asses, we got rappers out here that <laughs> rap about the distinct details of what you did committing a crime and putting this shit on record. And then all these motherfuckers be snitching. All of them be fucking snitching, dog. Like, bruh. I say, I don't feel bad. I don't feel bad. One bit for Thug, for Gunner, for any of these motherfuckers that's going down with this fucking shit. I am with Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis. She ain't out here playing that shit. She ain't playing with y'all motherfuckers, dog. Get y'all ass up out of fucking Atlanta. Y'all gonna do that shit. Y'all making Atlanta look bad. I mean, what you not, though? This what you not. Like, all y'all motherfuckers are suckers. All of them is fucking suckers, bro. I mean, I realize that's what make the fucking pendulum swing in this hip-hop shit. Like, the audience is attracted to this shit, especially on, especially musically. Like, you just go on, every time I, every time I go on fucking YouTube for my music channel and look and go to the Explorer page and try to, and, and look to see what music is trending, bro, it's always this shit. It's always this shit, bro. Like, it's winning. It's winning. It's a winning formula, dog. That's why. That's why you got these fucking record labels taking insurance policies out on all these fucking rappers because they're either gonna get locked up or buried. You know what I mean? So you got you got fucking record labels taking out insurance policies on the rappers they sign because they out here rapping about this. Like how f motherfuckers are stupid. Motherfuckers are stupid. It's stupid. It ain't their fault, though. It ain't their fault. It ain't their fault. They, it's, you're a product of your environment. I understand all that shit. But, but at some point, you got to fucking come to a... Especially if you a motherfucker like these rappers, Thug and Gunner. Y'all are some multi... Y'all are, are multi-millionaires, bro. Multi-fucking-millionaires. Literally, the world is in the palm of your fucking hands. And you're going to throw it away for what? For what? Thug not getting out of fucking jail. Gunna not getting out of fucking jail. And I'm, and there's other fucking rappers tired of this shit that's about to go down. Y'all make everybody fucking look bad. Y'all make everybody fucking look bad. Just another fucking, no, you know, you know I ain't like saying that fucking word. The N word. It's another fuck. It's out here making us look crazy. So I'm glad we got a fucking black 
district attorney out here representing the black community the way it needs to be. You know what I mean? Holding motherfuckers accountable, putting motherfuckers in their place, and you fuck up, I'm coming after you, dog. Especially be doing some dumb shit like this, like snitching on yourself. Like snitching on yourself. And then motherfuckers get mad and she going through the lyrics. <laughs> like, motherfuckers get mad and she going through the lyrics because they snitching on themselves. You know what I'm saying? They snitching on themselves. And motherfuckers get mad. What you doing? What don't do that? Bitch, no, no, no. You snitching on yourself, bruh. Fuck you mean? You might as well just give it. You might as well just telling yourself, give a, giving a statement. When you when you put these lyrics on wax, you are giving a statement for public consumption. Fucking idiots. Fucking idiots, bruh. Idiots. So that's a little clip there from Night Talk talking about this mm -hmm. thing. And uh, I'm going to put it out of the way first. Uh, if you're an artist who is singing about something and has details that's only known by cops, yes, I think you should be uh, a, a, a person of interest. No doubt about it. So you're saying if somebody is literally taking police files or information that is not known to the public that relates to a crime and they turn it into a song but it's a little bit more than uh, similarities or speculation right maybe they're naming names maybe they're talking or about a specific, specific way how they someone was or killed specific, you know i was killed on the corner of 23rd and east avenue or something like that they your your opinion is they should be able to question that person and say where did you get this information right not necessarily uh arrest them but maybe go to them and say hey this relates to something oh, yeah, we're yeah. working on yeah it's not so much you're gonna say oh we're gonna charge you with this crime it's more of okay we're gonna pull you in and question you because you're saying some things that no one in the public knows about and uh, I do find that acceptable. Like, but here is, of course, you and I were kind of like, why eyes wide is. Let's say you're, and we've seen it with a lot of artists. Let's say you're an artist in metal, and you're singing about real life events. So, like Charlie Manson, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, whatever. Or your bark. Right, and. You know, you're uh, saying some things that you may have heard from another party, which, you know, again, would put you up to be questioned by cops. But if you're saying, again, details that's not really that well known, uh, and you say, well, I read it from a friend's diary or some shit like that, right? Or what about, like... 90% of death metal is based on, like, serial killers and stuff like that, too. And Well, and that's what I'm wondering, because, like, this woman, like, where exactly is she going where is to... Where's the line? You know how I am about the slippery slope. Like, yeah. once you start, like, again, we're not going to get into... Because, I mean, there's guys there's... that sing about horror movies, and if they just happen to have a lyric or a piece of lyric that's resembling something in a crime, like... But that, they really saw it in a movie, and it turns into a lyric. Right. For me, I, I asked you this question while I was listening to it. I said, are they just going after, you know, hip-hop and rap artists? Because that sounds kind of racist. 
for them to say like well that'd certainly be profiling but i but honestly like why and i get it it's atlanta and and that's kind of like a big hip-hop scene but you're going after artists because they're singing about whatever gang banging drugs etc you have to as and and we we talk about this all the time about artist versus the art because there are some terrible human beings who produce really great art right harvey weinstein number one like he has great movies but he's a horrible person um you hear these songs sometimes by black metal artists that are awful but maybe it it kind of resembles some kind of like craziness that happened back in 87 and you're like wow this sounds very fam-. you can't artwork is not an admission of guilt mm-hmm. i'm not just saying like paintings i'm saying poetry songs um photography are we gonna charge like photographers for taking pictures of you know war for being like co-conspirators in the war or charge them as war criminals for standing by and taking you know being photojournalists and taking pictures and documenting what is happening while there's people dying oh because they have like these photojournalists got a lot of shit especially during vietnam because a lot of people did not agree with it but you had and some of these people won like pulitzers for these photographs of people dying right citizens uh, you know you know innocent people dying but they were literally there to kind of be like a ghost and and document a fly on a wall yeah, yeah to document what's happening they're not medical and it's also they're not I, medical professionals you i know? pointed out this very thing in that shark video i did a, a few months back where people were taking their phones out and videoing whatever they could of the attack on that guy and people were giving him a bunch of shit like wow man you guys literally took the time to video this without trying to help the guy i'm like there's nothing they could have fucking done not a fucking thing and honestly like me i don't know if i was ever in an emergency situation even though like i've been trained how Mm -hmm. to like you know help somebody when they've been hurt I've been trained, but I'm not, like, an EMT or a medical professional. Like, as my profession, I just have learned emergency procedures. So who knows what would happen if somebody I know was was having a heart attack or I wouldn't... I can't say because I've never been in that situation. So, back to this. If you're going to, like, crucify someone for rapping or singing about crimes you have to really tiptoe this line because again unless the song itself is saying you know joe smith is guilty he killed um mrs walker on april 13th 1989 i would not even consider questioning anyone because a lot of things that people create are are fiction we look at bands like ghost where it's a complete 
you know, theatrical thing where they all have their own little personas and it's not their real names. They are not real devil worshipers. They're actually kind of like making fun of the Catholic Church more than anything mm -hmm. and making fun of the satanic panic. But people look at them and they're kind of like all made up and scary and they have like the, the masks. So are you going to be like, listen, ghost goes against what uh, the majority of the world believes, so we need to question them because they're obviously putting a curse on everyone. I know that's a little bit extreme to say, but we're witnessing that right now with the Tennessee Metal Devastation Festival. It's a smaller festival. It's only one day, but... Um, Tennessee is very, very Christian, mm -hmm. and they they hate hearing the word devastation, and it's in a public area, and they're saying, why do they have to use the word devastation? What does this mean? Are they going to be, you know, blowing things up? Are they hurting people? And sometimes, you know, just a description and, and words are not enough to just end someone's life. Like, I get it. I, I know a lot of the, the 80s and 90s hip-hop artists and rappers, they would, they would write about what they saw. And it, sometimes it was pretty, I don't want to say graphic, but, you know, pretty, it, it was eye-opening, right? I mean, do you, you know, like, fuck the police, right? That was huge. Right. And then, like, when, when the whole Rodney King thing happened, that was huge too. People were out singing about it. Even Sublime wrote a song about the whole the riots and, and Rodney King. It was it was very emotional for everyone. Are you gonna arrest Sublime because they literally talked about stealing things during the riot? Yeah, my problem with the the DA was one in the clip she was very vague about it. she she mentioned like oh if you're singing about kicking in doors and stealing cars and putting taking the license plates off, I'm like, I hope that's not her way of saying that's what's going to be used against people because that's very vague. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think it is. I think it was just her giving an example. But either way... She's almost saying, like, a, you writing this song is an admission of guilt, and I don't think that's fair to say. Well, yeah, and like I said, it's going to have to be something very detailed. It's going to be something like, you know, this rapper is saying, yeah, I was inside the house, and when I got to her, I, like, took this specific type of rope, and I strung her around her neck as I choked her out to death. It would have to be something like that where the public hasn't even seen it. The media doesn't know that detail. I mean, like, are we going to arrest the insane clown posse for, like, making a... They've a, tried. I mean, <laughs> let's... This is why I'm saying a lot of things... The one thing okay, I, okay. I'll, I'll, I was saying this to you during when I was listening to this. Vanilla Ice, he put on this big hard persona of a white boy. He he put on the Eminem persona, like I'm a white boy living in the ghetto, and, and he really wasn't. He lived in like an upper middle class, you know, right. suburban area. But he was like rapping about his life and you know whatever. A lot of people, I think, they will take liberties. They will take, like, experiences and turn them into their artwork. But that can't be used 
as an admission of guilt. And again, you have it's a slippery slope. You have it to, is. You have to tiptoe on that line, and you cannot just prosecute somebody just because they're singing singing about like bitches and hoes and drug deals and and gang banging because maybe they're just singing about it because that's what they've seen. It doesn't. Well, Stevie said it was some of it's based off personal experiences of where you lived, and I'm like, I, I it, look, it, it's all going to come down to. How much of it is going to be... Because she said she will use it against them if they charge them now. I hope to God if they charge somebody, they've got a lot more than just some lyrics. Because you, otherwise you're going to kind of fuck yourself. I don't think it'll hold up in court. I mean, let's let's talk. Let, I'm going to go completely fictitious. Queen of the Dam. I mean, it's a... Uh, quote on you know a vampire singing about vampire life and vampire things and you know some people completely believed it and some people didn't and the vamp listen to what i'm saying it's fiction i i don't even know how i feel about it because i mean i when i was a kid I would write like some really graphic poetry about like being sad and depression and suicide but like I never was really suicidal it was more like poetry was kind of in vogue kind of like what people did because we were kind of playing back to the 70s when and 60s when people wrote poems so it was if you would pick up one of my journals from when I was in high school, you would think I was the most miserable person on the face of the earth, but a lot of times people start putting things down to get the anger and the sadness out of them. So I would write these things and it, it, it could have been over something as stupid as like, I don't know, I, I tripped and fell and and ripped my favorite pair of jeans but the embarrassment made me feel so bad because I'm so self-conscious that it turned into this big epic poem or you know journal entry that I wrote don't you think that that's what artists do as musicians like they they take whatever part of them is is hurting or excited or well sad. I even take it a step further because like I said it's going to come back to like metal stuff like Let's just say you're singing a song that's not even that real, but it's like uh, you in first person basically fantasizing about murdering someone. Mm -hmm. It just happens to be similar to something else. That, you know, if, she's, if, if this DA tries to take someone in on that, it's like that's not a good thing. Like, because this person's literally like could go to prison if it holds. And it's fiction. Right, because he just happened to be coincidental with what happened to somebody else in real life, and that, that's a problem. So, where And I also want to understand, too, like, where does this come into play? Because when we, you and I are kind of like true crime junkies, and we, I don't want to say we enjoy the, the documentaries, but we are very interested because... There, 
you and I have both seen so many times where people have been wrongfully convicted or something crazy happens and you're like, I understand why this person did what they did because of like years of abuse or whatever. How is a song going to reflect back on an artist and then it's just like, this is evidence. I thought that, I mean, anything, it's circumstantial. Mm -hmm. And if anything, it's only going to be like a door opening to saying, maybe we should question this person. But I hate hearing, you know, this DA saying, guys, listen, we, you know, Atlanta's really getting rough. Anytime we hear an Atlanta rapper speaking about something happening and it's specific about, you know, a street name or something, we have to bring them in for questioning. It's really not fair to them because, you know, it kind of goes back to street cred and being a little fictitious like Vanilla Ice was trying to be all big mm -hmm. and bad and hard like he knows where the bad parts of Florida are and he was like talking about that can't just like an Atlanta rapper be like I'm trying to be you know a badass and I'm talking about this because I want people to appreciate what I've seen and what I know people have gone through but I also want a little bit of respect by saying, hey, yeah, I'm rapping about this particular incident. That's kind of where I fall in, into this because like you and I have said a couple of times during this, this little piece, unless somebody is in their song confessing, saying, I murdered, you know, Joe Smith on October 13th and I used a samurai sword and, and right. you know it's, it's got to be very it's specific got to be something like that you can't just because if, you, if someone just goes and reads the, uh, the web zine or the news on Fox News and says oh I'm gonna sing a song about this even though I don't know any details but if I just happen to say oh because you can literally make it up like if you read a story about something that happened and you say, well, I'm going to write a song, but the story itself is not interesting because there's not a lot of information there. But I'm going to make some up. And let's just say you happen to nail something. Like, you know, that really puts you on the target list. And it's like, you don't really want that. No, and I, I feel uneasy mm. thinking about this. Mainly because it goes against everything artistic as Expression. Yeah, exactly. As people who are, are are artists, whether they are doing written word, spoken word, or visual art, um, I mean, for God's sake, what it, you've seen a lot of like Jackson Pollocks, and they're very, you know, disturbingly visual. But then Andy Warhol is like very commercial. So now we're getting into speculation of this is art that's okay and this is art that's and I use art in a very broad umbrella like with regarding to songs, lyrics, etc, visual blah blah blah. So now what's happening is you're speculating on people's opinions, which is something that we talk about all the time with metal because you and I are probably the most normal boring people we 
pay our mortgage, we pay our taxes, we pay our car, we don't do anything crazy, we have pets, we do not sacrifice goats in our basement. <laughs> I mean, you a lot of people you know of. that we yeah, that you know of. <laughs> but you 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 put these stereotypes on people and when you start doing that just because of something that you produce or you appreciate it's really not fair i mean you you hear us dj anubis and i admiring and, and loving and attending concerts but just because we're listening to death metal or black metal or any kind of theatrical metal it's not meaning that we are doing the same thing ourselves it's it's expression of the artist this da is taking that expression of the artist and using that as a crime i mean again slippery slope here i go are you going to start prosecuting people who listen to it because and consider them like uh co-conspirators of the crime because they have knowledge now that was put out there right is that is that what you're gonna start doing too because if you are a fan and you purchase something that has lyrics which refer to a crime and they have evidence that you purchased it and it's in your possession now you have evidence to a quote-unquote crime again this is all my speculation and this is why I get irritated with things like this. But it can happen. It just hap it snowballs so fast. As soon as as soon it depends on what state you're in, it depends on like who has a, a bug up their ass, who wants to start getting, you know, shitty. Well, it just comes down, I would just say it's just a very slippery slope and We'll have to kind of keep an eye on what happens out of all this. Like if they, if they. What was the DA's name again? Did you remember? Nah. But oh shoot. I'm sure we can look it up by googling it, but anyhow, we're gonna get back into our music. Sorry, uh, I know I, I right. talked way too much about that, but you know how I am. We got some classic Halloween in here. Brand new stuff from Grave Shadow, and here's some brand new stuff from Bells and Ravens called Zone of Pain.
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? Well, they suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, man. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. Alright. Gotta talk a little about Cool Hand Luke. And it all started with another movie. <laughs> so, DJ Anubis kind of came out to me and said, uh, I'm gay. And I said, okay, cool. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> no. He said to me, I've never seen the Shawshank Redemption. And I'm like, it's a really great movie. It's, you know, it's a Stephen King novel. I'm surprised because he's really a big fan of Stephen King. And he and he was like, you know, everybody says it's, it's just like this phenomenal movie. And I'm like, it is, but it's pretty deep. And it's not something you're going to watch, like, for shits and giggles. And we watched it. And what did you think? About Shawshank. Uh, I liked it, certainly. Um, a lot of people were talking about it. Uh, certainly, I'm sitting there going, "Okay, let me check it out." Because I miss, I like Stephen King's work, uh, mainly with you know, even with the movies. Uh, but this isn't your atypical Stephen King film. This really has nothing to do with horror or supernatural. It's just straight it's thriller. Very Not really even thriller. It's just dramatic yeah. and sad and happy and clever. Yeah. So we're watching this movie, and one of my favorite movies is actually Cool Hand Luke. And I, I really, I, I was just joking about this with DJ Anubis off, off, uh, off mic a second ago. I think my mom's, like, crush, like, Hollywood crush was Paul Newman. And I watched a lot of these movies with her when I was younger and I have a, a, a bigger file on Paul Newman, you know, you gotta think he died in I think 2008-ish and had this like huge theater and, and movie life, but most of it was before I was born. I mean, most recent things were the Cars movies where he voiced Doc Hudson and, um, so I'm watching Shawshank again because I hadn't watched it in a while and my brain starts kind of like going back to Cool Hand Luke and I'm like 
I feel like Stephen King watched Cool Hand Luke, uh, when was this, like back in 68 when mm-hmm. Cool Hand Luke came out? 67. Yeah. So, I and I, was, I wasn't even born until 1980, so like, this is, I watched Cool Hand Luke way before I even met DJ Anubis in 2002. And... I'm sitting in there thinking to myself as I'm watching Shawshank, I feel like Stephen King was on a bunch of peyote because he loved drugs and he was watching Cool Hand Luke and got ideas and said, I could do something like Cool Hand Luke, but make it more like a mystery and give it a little bit more pizzazz, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Because that's like a big thing with Stephen King is he always wants some kind of like twist but not in the M. Night Shyamalan twist. He right. wants it more in a um, obvious Shock twist. Value. So, like, with, with like you think of M. Night Shyamalan, The Village, Sixth Sense, it's like, right. oh, Bruce Willis is dead. Mind blown. But for us, at the end of, spoiler alert, from 1994, uh, he escapes Shawshank, by digging with a tiny, tiny little pick for 20 years and hides the hole with a poster. And what what really drew me back to Cool Hand Luke was the interactions between the, um, the prisoners themselves. So I'm going to start by saying Cool Hand Luke is taking place back in, like, the 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. And Luke literally is a petty thief. He's not like out there, you know, blowing down banks. He's robbing fucking like parking meters. <laughs> That's he's he's just kind of a petty thief. Which is quite comical. And it was because he was drunk. Because he's drunk and he's cutting off the fucking heads of parking meters and stealing the change. He just. I feel like you see Luke and he's just kind of like, I don't want to say given up on life, but he feels like kind of nobody cares. So he's going to do whatever he feels like doing at that time. The one thing about Cool Hand Luke that people really praise it for is this is showing a very realistic view on the Florida prison system back in the 50s. And, you know, I was just kind of joking. I'm like, they're living in, like, a fucking barn. And they really are. It's a roof with some chain gating around it. Uh, They have, like, a group shower. They, their life revolves around waking up and eating and going out and working on the highway whether they're digging ditches or chopping down weeds or whatever. And I think a lot of people, you know, back then when they saw it, they didn't really kind of put two and two together and realize, like, you know, when you're kind of in the deep south and people aren't really paying attention, regardless of what you've done, Luke being a very petty criminal, he did not murder anybody, he did not hurt anybody but he's being subject to really harsh labor but Luke himself is kind of a joker and he he makes friends pretty fast 
with the prisoners. He is lighthearted and, you know, there's really not a lot to do in prison. So what they do is entertain each other. They play poker, they, they bet on each other. And you see this where people see the charisma of Luke. And part of me thinks like his charisma is because he's just filled with self-doubt and self-loathing. Whereas if you flip the script and you go on Shawshank, um, Timothy Hutton's character, that's Timothy Hutton, right? Timothy Robbins. Robert, sorry. Timothy Robbins', Robbins uh, character is 100% sure he is innocent mm -hmm. and he knows he's innocent and he is sad that his wife was killed and he's like I know I didn't do it and I'm sad and I'm angry but now I'm prosecuted so he's more of like the person you're cheering for you look at Luke and you cheer for him just because of his charisma and you want him to be like successful because you're like I just really like this guy he's funny he's got this amazing smile and he laughs at everybody you know um, the famous scene that I always if somebody says they don't know cool hand Luke I'm like well you don't remember when Paul Newman ate 50 hard-boiled eggs they were just doing nothing in prison they had nothing to do and they started taking bets on eating eggs and Luke just pipes up and says I could eat 50 and his buddy is like Luke why'd you have to say 50 you could have said 35 come on now but his friend had so much like confidence in Luke he's given like odds and people are betting against him and they're watching him eat and it's like cheering you feel good about a prisoner and that's one beautiful thing about both of these movies is you look at people these prisoners as people not as like dregs of society you see that they are people with feelings and you know they're funny they're happy they're sad in in Shawshank you see how intelligent Timothy Robbins character is he's you know, a VP of a bank, and he can do taxes, et cetera, et cetera. But I started doing a little deep dive into Cool Hand Luke, and you and I talked off mic before about how I felt. Like, I took Cool Hand Luke a little bit more surface level. I thought of Luke as the anti-hero. You know, his mom, his mom was sick, and didn't leave anything to him, but left mm -hmm. it to his brother. He loved his mom and his brother, but he's like, fuck, if my family doesn't even believe in me, why should I believe in myself, kind of thing. I started doing a little bit of reading, and apparently people have been doing an allegory between Cool Hand Luke and Jesus Christ. Mm. So, I, I'm so talking serious. serious, like people have written theses on um, the allegory between Cool Hand Luke and Jesus Christ. So, 
I'll give you the first example. After Luke eats, first of all, his name's Luke, number one. After he eats the 50 hard-boiled eggs, there's a scene of him in his boxers laying on the table, and his legs are crossed and his arms are out, kind of like Jesus on the cross. His number is, is 37, and that is a particular verse in the New Testament book of Luke, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Luke is looked at as like a miraculous one. He escaped three times, right? And he ate the 50 eggs that nobody thought he could do. And after the death of his mother, he was singing the song, Plastic Jesus. And there's a line that says, I ain't scary because I got the Virgin Mary assuring me that I won't go to hell. Eventually, Luke has a group of followers, including his right-hand man. Um, God, I forgot his name. But it ends up that he has the 12 inmates that are his friends that all sit around the table with him. And it's 12, like, apostles, right? Right. It all builds to Luke praying in the garden when he's betrayed by Dragline, the, um, what you call it, uh, his friend. And he says up to the rafters, why hast thou forsaken me? So at the end, they're saying, spoiler alert, 1968, but Luke, this is his third escape. He gets shot. And um, they're saying that it's he's like the martyr because after like the post scenes, they're showing like everybody believes he's still alive. They've never acknowledged, none of the prisoners acknowledged that he died. Mm. They thought he was, that they thought he escaped. Even his buddy kept talking about it like Luke still lives on. Hmm. And they would always keep saying, oh, that, smi that smile, that, that, that face, that charisma. Right. So he was inspiring his fellow inmates to believe whatever they're supposed to believe. And Luke, honestly, was only supposed to be in prison for two years. So he was there proving whatever he needed to be but a lot of people are saying that Kuhin Luke is an allegory to Jesus Christ I don't 100% feel that but when I read that I thought I had to bring it up because like it's really interesting to think about what do you think uh, true uh, you know one thing that this article from this review talks about is that final scene when he takes Dragline, I think is his, his buddy. And Dragline is still kind of talking while they're in that house, like, you know, this is great, you know, we're escaping, we're trying to get away. And, and 
Dragline is Judas. Luke is like... Right? Right? Dragline is Judas? And Luke is kind of like, you know, he gets weary of it. He's like, no, I'm not longer doing this for your entertainment. I'm just tired. I want to get out of here and be done with this. And so it's... it, it That's why he is the anti-hero. It's like he... At one point, kind of thought it was cool to be in prison, I guess, and sort of like have these people kind of worship him a little bit, but then it got just tiring because they, it's like being, it's like having minions, like mm-hmm. you're just they're sucking the life out of you. Well, remember this his second escape, he was gone for a while, mm-hmm. and then he put that picture in the magazine, right? And everybody's like, look at him, look at these two hot women, and then when he finally, and that's when you were like, he's breaking. And I'm like, well, not not quite yet, because I knew there was going to be another escape. But like, he, he was telling everybody that it was it was just phony. It was for show. He was trying, and this is why I don't think he's like a Jesus allegory. I think he is a broken man. Mm-hmm. Like, he really he had nothing. He had no one. He had no wife, no mother. His brother didn't care about him his mother's the only one who came and visited him in prison and all he wanted to do was feel like he had something in these pictures of the hot women and then it made him feel good knowing that his buddies saw him as something i also i think i made a comment to you about some of the cinematography was like really artfully um shot especially with boss godfrey he's the one who never talked and he had the aviator glasses on with like the mirror um reflections so like you'd see him and it would that's be that's actually one of my favorite scenes out of it with like you'd the see thing, the reflection the in one his guy yeah. and of course anybody who is a metalhead or sort of a metalhead or a guns and roses fan would know the full um would recognize the warden's speech of what we've got here is a failure to communicate. So there's so many like amazing and legendary things that you think about um, in this movie. And, you know, we watched it off the tale of Shawshank, which like how many fucking awards did Shawshank win? You know, it was amazing. And I think it's 20 years difference between the two almost so you're kind of like what movies were in the 70s versus what they were in the 90s i think one thing that i really liked about cool hand luke versus shawshank is um i felt like the prisoners were more believable in Cool Hand Luke, like, you felt like you were almost, like, dropped inside of a prison, where, not that Shawshank had bad acting, it was just, like, it was so dramatized that, and there was so much going on that you kind of, like, were taken away from that these were prisoners, where in Cool Hand Luke, it was simplicity to perfection, where you kind of really understood these guys get to eat like twice a day and they get to take a shower and go work out on the chain gang. It felt very raw. Um, excuse me. I am trying to think what else. Oh, remember 
when they made Cool Hand Luke dig his own grave, mm-hmm. that was fucking crazy. Fill it up, dig it. Fill mm-hmm. it up. That was. It made me tired looking at him doing that. And that motherfucker did not give up at all. I don't know. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways he didn't want the the cops to see him break. Like he was tired and beaten down, but he's like. I'm not gonna let him beat me. And how many times was he put in the hole and he's like basically giving him the finger without giving him the finger? But I do think that's one reason why Shawshank was a better film for me because as as smart as Newman was, he was never able to get the best of the cops, whereas Robin's character was and we enjoyed the Well that's the thing. Shawshank, even though it's a sad movie is a happy ending. Right, right. Cool Hand Luke, Luke is, is not and you a didn't, happy you, ending. And you didn't prepare me for that part. I'm thinking, I'm thinking yeah, yeah he's, he's fucking gone. He's, he's on a beach somewhere. And he's like, no, no. no. And I think that's what kind of makes Cool Hand feel a little bit more of a downer and feels more realistic, especially for back then. Um, they, he did what he could and it just didn't happen. I think what makes Shawshank so revolutionary is because they both take place around the same time. And Cool Hand Luke is a little bit more realistic. And you look at what happened in Shawshank, you've got a guy who is a college graduate winning the trust over everyone, including the warden, and getting the best over them. So it doesn't feel as realistic and that's why it's such a more fantastical happier movie because you see the end when Morgan Freeman comes walking down that beach and he just wants to shake his friend's hand again and he does you're like fuck yeah cool hand Luke gets <laughs> shot in a church right. you know like he he's basically quote unquote crucified and that's the sadder but more realistic and raw version um and I, I do still, I stand by this. I think that Stephen King took a lot of, you know, inspiration from Cool Hand Luke because I saw a lot of parallels between the different prisoners. And Stephen King is a masterful person of character writing. Anytime you read a book of Stephen King's, it's four inches, you know, fucking wide. And it is very just character driven. So we, you know, in in Cool Hand Luke, it's all about Luke. And then you get like a sprinkling of the other people and you get some like really impactful scenes like the warden speaking about, you know, what we have here is a failure to communicate. But in Shawshank, you see something spark about every single character. There Uh is something about each character that will impact you, not just the main character. But in Cool Hand Luke, all you're thinking about is Luke and all these other people are supporting him. Again, going with the, the, you know, apostle theory, but... I think that's why um, Stephen King can be a really great writer. He can take a small character like Brooks and you... Well, it helps now, too, and this is, again, no fault of anyone's, but 
Shawshank has like a strong cast. And well, back but back then that was a strong cast too for Poor well, Man. You you recognize some faces, but I'm just saying that because the budgets, I'm I'm sure like times were different with how you get paid and all that. But just thinking now, like just the cast that Shawshank has, it's like wow, like that's a lot of like star power. Uh, and back then with Kuhai and Luke, it's like yeah, you see some familiar faces, but they're not all like big stars like Newman was. Like I think Dragline was. He's like the most familiar face I see outside of Newman. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so it's just interesting how it all played out. I mean, let's let's just, again, I'm, I'm going to do a little tiny thing. Brooks, the older inmate, he maybe had 20, 25 lines in the movie. How impactful was his story and what happened to him? He had a baby bird, and then he the baby bird stayed with him until it turned into a crow and then when he was released on compassionate release he released the bird you know it was but these this is a smaller character that again I didn't prepare you for (laughs) that had a super strong story we don't see that in Cool Hand Luke the only story that is amazing is Luke's the wardens and um what's his faces uh with the glasses <sighs> i can't think of his name right now i just said his name too um dragline the yeah so or excuse me godfrey the one who doesn't speak and godfrey was so good without even saying one line in the entire movie i so I, I hate even comparing the two movies, but it just kind of happened that after I watched Shawshank, I'm like, baby, you have to watch Cool Hand Luke. First of all, you have to see Paul Newman eat 50 hard-boiled eggs, and it's hysterical. But the more that I, I watched it, I was like, this is cool. Without Cool Hand Luke, I think there would be no Shawshank. And... I was telling you there was a couple of like little fun things. Um, Jack Lemming was a producer on Cool Hand Luke and he was considered for the lead role as Luke. So was Telly Savalas. Kojak was also considered and they were originally going for that like more every normal man kind of thing but the same thing that they were saying about Luke in the movie was what they said about Paul Newman just something about him you know Paul Newman's got that spark and you that's what they wanted to see in Luke was that spark um he was funny without trying to be funny and Again, maybe I have a crush on Paul Newman, too, because I'm through my mother. Um, any final words on Cool Hand Luke? Nope. I think that's just about it. I, I am, I'm so happy you watched it. I'm so happy you watched Shawshank, too. How, how interesting is it that we watched two movies that were 
kind of historically like period um because they weren't shot during that period but it was like historical for that period and you saw all the little details about where they were and when it happened and you know the Shawshank is in the 90s and you're seeing like how they represented things from the 40s and 50s mm -hmm. I, I really do enjoy small details like that so I guess this is like a 50-50. It was Shawshank slash Cool Hand Luke, but I picked Cool Hand Luke after we just happened to fall upon Shawshank Redemption. I will stand by every Paul Newman movie. He is my mama's man. And I, I, were we going out of 10? What do you think for Cool Hand Luke? Are we going out of five or 10? Are we gonna rate both of them? Because I've already rated Shawshank on my forum. Oh, really? Okay, so give me your give me your Shawshank cool hand. All right, so Shawshank for me was 9 out of 10. And the only reason why it's not really a perfect score is because I think you're not It's I the same about, thing. You can't watch it a lot. Right. It's not something that I will watch a lot. Like, it's very good. Um, it's enough to keep it in your head. If I watch it five years from now, I'll enjoy it. But I don't, I'm not going to buy it or watch it on a consistent basis. Cool Hand Luke. Um, probably eight. Strong um, eight. Only, only because it's it's a product of its time. So unfortunately, it, we've talked about where it probably could have used more more story. But uh, we just talked about it. We said Cool Hand Luke focuses on Luke. Shawshank focuses on everybody. Everybody. Right. Yeah, it's just, and they're different movies, but they're similar. Like, mm -hmm. like you and I are pretty convinced King took some influence mm -hmm. there. So what are your scores? I, I rate them both at a 9. Okay. Um, the one reason I give Luke a 9 is because even though the end sucks, I think there's so much subtle comedy in the entire thing that I can, I've watched it a million times. Mm -hmm. Shawshank, I think I could count on one hand. I've watched it maybe four times, but the movie is so good. I mean, you, when I, when we watched it the other day, you're like, Oh, when's the last time you watched this? I'm like, I don't know before I met you. Like, I mean, it's been 20 years since I've watched Shawshank, but it was so impactful that I remembered a lot of it. Right. And that shows a beautiful and masterful movie. Um, you know, you know, you have a good movie when you don't have to watch it over and over again to remember things. And that's what I loved about Shawshank. Cool Hand, though, on the other, gets my my rewatch because I've watched it so many times. And, you know, I'll be honest, sometimes I just don't watch the end. Mm -hmm. Because... <laughs> you want to go with the mirage that he's still alive, and just I, like they are. Just like they are. They're pretending that he didn't get caught and he didn't get shot. And, you know, they're sitting at the table telling jokes, and they're like, that Luke, he got away. And that's me in my brain. I'm like, yeah, Luke got away, you know. And for me, the most heartbreaking thing about Cool Hand Luke is 
he only had a small sentence to do and he was just so sad and so miserable that even making friends in prison didn't fulfill him. Yeah. All right, sorry, uh, we're, we're downer. We're Debbie Downers here nah, right now. That's how we do this. <laughs> so um, next week is DJ Anubis's pick. Um, we're going scavengering tomorrow. So he might find something amazing. Um, if not, I got plenty here. Well, we do have plenty here, but but the reason why I love the place that we're going tomorrow is the shit that I found there is stuff that you would go on Amazon and pay $50 for an entire season. And always good shit at this place. All right, kicking off our next couple blocks of music. Got some brand new stuff from Deformatory. It's called Corpse Born.
Hey, DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and Keiju related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y. Sci-Fi Century. Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla-related information. Peace.
been like on a total like brainstorm discussion like I really want to thank everyone for tuning in today because I feel like I've been exceptionally long-winded because I've been talking about things that really mean a lot to me including Paul Newman and <laughs> I also um, I'm really happy with everything that DJ Anubis and I have been doing the Tennessee Metal Devastation Fest is October 8th. Yep. And uh, what I've, this is spoiler alert for poor DJ Anubis, um, I may be able to go because a lot of things have gotten delayed. So if that happens, he and I will be hanging out at the Tennessee Metal Devastation Music Festival together. I, um, I do want to go. I do want to work as well, but I would love to see you guys there. Um, for us, it's maybe a 10-hour drive-ish to um, the, the festival. I don't know. I can't remember the, how far it was because it turned into a blur as we were driving through all the states. But I, I hope that maybe I can go and then I'm immediately sent out. It would be kind of cool. I just didn't want to ask my boss, but from what I what I've seen in the in the um, schedules, it looks like it's probably not going to be until middle of October that I'll be going out. Yeah, so we'll see. Uh, we, but we gotta get some stuff that we're gonna take down there, with some stickers and stuff. So we have to work that we'll out. We'll figure it out. Like I I feel like. Um, one thing that might be kind of fun for our fans is the uh, bottle opener keychain mm -hmm. combo. Yeah. But, again, thanks to all the promotional sites and labels for the music. And, again, hope you all enjoyed this. Give us any kind of feedback you like if you want. Give us requests. a if you love us. Yep. Uh, like, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh and enjoy the rest of your weekend. Um, thanks again. I've got one last track for you. Bad Card Void Oath provided by Quabar PR. And uh, it's called Orion Cygnus Descent. Talk to you later. Hey.